Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 75, Pattern Precision. So the Sonics is a great handling, easy flying sport plane. It has absolutely no bad habits. So we're going to go over a few techniques used on a typical pattern flight. The idea is you're taking a pilot friend for an orientation flight in the Sonics and you want to show them everything. So from startup to taxi and takeoff around the patch and back down again. We'll discuss the speeds, the performance you'll see, and we'll generally try to give you a primer on flying a Sonics with some semblance of precision. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me once again are my good flying buddies, John Gillis and Mike Niedenthal. Gary is out. He might pop in halfway through this episode, so we'll just kind of see what happens. So, Mike, uh, what's going on in your world? No, nothing much. I'm just, uh, you know, trying to trying to hang on to the COVID stuff and do some flying and trying to, you know, my airplane's still for sale out there if anybody wants it. Um, but, but I'm having a good time flying and I'm actually starting to fly a little more out here now. It's, it's been kind of fun. And, and, uh, even the, you know, be, be, as long as you get out really early, like at O dark 30 and, and, uh, and get back before, you know, nine, nine, 10 o'clock. Yeah, they're going to have to hurry up and call you because, bad, um, so. the more you fly it, the more you're going to want to fly it and the price is going to go up. So they want a good deal. They need to call you now. Yeah. Then, <laughs> and the next thing you know, I'm going to want to keep it, you know, so, <laughs> but you know, I, yeah, that's right. The price is going to go way up. <laughs> I'm working all the, I've worked all the kinks out of it, so to speak. So other than that, that's about it. Just been uh, not working a whole lot, and then uh, just uh, flying when I can. And uh, of course, it's hotter than you know what. So I did my condition inspection and got that all done. And good time to do it when it's like 400 degrees outside, you know. And uh, so thinking about you know COVID and and work, you know, at your airline. Um, is it is it kind of sort of going back to normal, or is it, it just kind of flatlined, or what's going on? You know, it it got really uh, it actually kind of was on the upswing, and we were you know we limit the le- the center seats. We're us and like Delta are the only ones that are uh, uh, have the center seats blocked basically, and. Uh, Everybody else is just let the free fall because I think they're forced into it. But uh, we actually, uh, things were going pretty good up until, you know, like a month ago, a few weeks ago when, uh, when, the, when the, we, they started getting this spike, you know, a month or so ago, I guess, all over the parts of the country. And so everybody got all scared again. So I think, I think everything kind of settled down and actually kind of went backwards. And they've actually reduced some flights this month and a little bit next month and they're going to try to increase them then that gradually uh getting toward the holidays so uh so we're, we're limited to like 93 in one airplane and 114 in the other which you don't really make money i mean they're like they're flying 30 percent of the passengers they flew last year so every, there's not an airline out there making money they're just it's just how how little how how much right. how you get yeah. the burn rate down so to speak you know per day 
per day. They're trying to do freight, you know, and all that kind of stuff to kind of compensate because all the freight guys are going, you know, they're going gangbusters because that's, you know, Amazon, that's what you do. You sit home on your phone and, and, uh, or your computer and order Amazon. So, and then, you know, so Prime and, and UPS and FedEx and all those guys are going crazy. So, yeah. But you're not flying empty airplanes around anymore, are you? No, no, no. It was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, March, April, May, probably even, uh, I was seeing single digits, uh, you know, uh, like, I mean, I'm talking less than 10, you know, hmm. five, stuff like that. Uh, but they, but then they, but now they're, they're, they're more like, you know, they're like 50, 60, 70. We'll see a lot of them in the nineties now. Uh, you know, people are, I think people are just getting, they're just masking up and just gone. You know, and they, they've been cleaning the air and they, they don't clean, they, they, they made the news for not cleaning the airplanes uh, as much, but they do this big fogger thing that's, that uh, they do that every like once a week. And that thing lasts, it's supposed to last 90 days and they do it once a week. They go through there and, and do the mister thing, you know. Um, so they missed everything down. And then they, they come in every after every flight now. Instead of having four people come on, they only have two people. And they basically wipe down tray tables and uh, and uh, and they go into the restrooms. Uh, but basically, you know, I and, and of course, now everybody's got to wear a mask. So, so, you know, everybody's mask up unless you're taking a drink of water, a sip of water or something. You know, so that's all you can do. I mean, people are just, I'm going to work. We, the only place I don't really wear a mask is, uh, it's kind of hard to do it up in the cockpit. So, you know, with, uh, with the headset and everything. So, but, it, but as soon as we get to get, before we move out of our seats, we have our mask on. So, cause we have to, we're in uniform. We're, we're uh, required anytime now. Yeah. All the way to my hotel room, basically. Well, uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, Way go right, yeah. That's the I life mean, there's, we're in there's now. still a demand. People <clears throat> got to move, you know, from place to place. Um, but uh, it kind of takes yep. all the fun out of it. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the overnights aren't any fun anymore because you know it depends on where you go, what state you go to. Uh, some some restaurants are open in a social distance. Some restaurants are open just for takeout only. Uh, you know, so it's 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 really not. Not like it used to be, you know, I, whenever I can, I just, I try to do like a lot of day trips, just out and back. Cause it's, was, it's no fun. Yeah. Go ahead. I was talking to an Alaska airlines captain uh, <clears throat> a couple of days ago and he said he's been flying to Hawaii. He goes, it is no fun anymore because nope. Hawaii forces them to quarantine in their hotel rooms. Well, they don't, they won't us because uh, we are essential workers. So we can actually leave. But the problem is there's nothing open. I mean, you got to go get food and come back to your hotel anyhow. So, <laughs> uh, but, the, but all the passengers that go out there, they they were given originally they I, I don't know what they're doing now. I think they might still be doing it, but, uh, they were, they were giving them one key entry to their room mm. and they had to stay there for 14 days. Can't leave the room. Can't leave the room. You have to order in all your food. Wow. You know, all that kind of stuff. So why would you even go? There's nobody. And now they just, they just, uh, uh, their inter island now is they, in, they, they, uh, backed off and they're bumped it back up basically. And, uh, so now people can't go inter island. So we've canceled a bunch of those flights out there also because we used to hop back and forth, uh, inter island. Mm-hmm. And now, 
basically uh, that's going to be through like the end of September now. So they've really, they've really gone way over and above, you know, to try to do what they can to mitigate. You know, Mike, uh, if they get some of those first class lie flat seats, they can put those up in the flight deck and you guys wouldn't have to go to the hotel at all. I, well, I, I, that's a good idea. You know, that's awesome. I, no, there's no incentive to go there now, except, you know, I guess you can when I when I flew out of uh, Antarctica on a C seventeen, most of the flight crew just laid out uh, camping pads. There you go in the cargo hold, and they were sleeping the whole flight. So I could see that. Yeah. The only bad thing, you know, you're not supposed to drink in the cockpit. You know, here you are off for for a twelve hour overnight, and then and then you're going to have a beer sitting in the in the pilot seat. <laughs> It doesn't. We'll, it we'll, not, we'll, we'll it submit an FAA right. waiver for that. Okay. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, hey, they got a lot of other waivers. I mean, because we're we have all these waivers now. You don't have to keep your currency. Uh, yeah. You know, your, your medical can go can slide a little bit. Your hey, Mike, just go. just fill out an ASRS report. <laughs> there you go. The, there uh, go. Get out of jail free. I, I, I cracked a beer because I couldn't leave the plane. It was, it was leftover kegger from last night. It's, we totally weren't <laughs> drinking this morning. That's right. That's, no. All right. Well, that's good to hear, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a new it's a it's a new world. It's just the way it is, you know. And and uh, I've been lucky. I've had vacation spread out over the, you know, from you know April to actually through next month, you know. So I haven't really had to be exposed a lot. And uh, you know, we just had a my stepson just had a a, a daughter, so. You know, my wife was real concerned about me bringing something home, so I was trying to keep off the road as much as I could. So, uh, but now, you know, everything's starting to settle down, at least with on that on that end. Anyhow, so. Well, John, what's new with you? Anyhow, <clears throat> I have not been flying my, my Sonics. It has absolutely been dere- uh, been derelict. Um, I did try to go fly it two weeks ago. And found out that I had left the master switch on with the battery charger on it. And they fought it out for a good couple of weeks and uh, the battery died. So um, in the process, I've been spending two weeks trying to get a replacement battery. I just got it actually yesterday. And maybe I'll go fly it this weekend. So I think you should. I I know. you you got to share the love. It is, it's, it's pathetically lonely. It's been, I looked at my logbook. It's been two months since I flew it. Oh, that's unacceptable. I know it yeah, is. Well, <laughs> but I have been flying a lot. I've been flying a tow plane and, uh, it's a middle of a, the high part of our soaring season. And I have a competition soaring glider and I've been flying the snot out of it. So, yeah, good. Lots of flight time. That's good. That part's good. You need to make your Sonics a tow plane. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it has the horsepower. <clears throat> there are Pawnee, which has uh, 260 horsepower. Um, yeah. At this altitude, when we get to uh, 10,000 feet uh, density altitude, it's not doing that great towing a 1,000-pound uh, uh, glider, glider yeah. behind it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's jump right into this. Uh, I think this will be a fairly quick topic. But like I said in the intro, the the idea is that periodically people will ask about 
flying the pattern. They'll talk about, you know, takeoff techniques. Do you, uh, do you raise the tail or take off in three point? They'll talk about the speeds you, you turn base and final. When do you drop your flaps and how much? You know, all these types of things in just kind of flying around the patch. So under the idea that, hey, uh, you're going to invite one of your flying buddies to go for a quick flight in your Sonics, and this is the kind of thing that you might talk through as you're, you're getting ready to go do a, a short pattern flight. We're going to talk way longer than it's going to take to actually fly this, you know, 10-minute flight, but we can kind of pull some of these little details out and make this <laughs> a, a good reference for someone who uh, either wants to prep up for getting ready to fly their own, or they just want to, um, you know, kind of see what it's like in a Sonics. All right, so under this idea of kind of a soup to nuts type of, uh, I guess I shouldn't actually say that, a front to back <laughs> discussion, uh, let's just kind of kick this off with, um, you know, with, with you jump in the airplane, you start it up, and you're taxiing for the runway. And um, I think this is a good place to start because when you're in the airplane, especially on a tri-gear or, or I'm especially on a tail dragger Sonics, you are in that three-point attitude. And that's the first time that you can kind of see what the airplane looks like as you look over the nose and start to kind of burn that orientation into your brain as to, uh, you know, what a nose-high attitude would look like. You know, you know, one thing I just want to <laughs> add right there is when I had the A model, it when I was in that three-point taxing state, um, I didn't seem to need to do the tail waggle to keep my eye on down the runway, but my B model seems to be, I have to do that whole, you know, pits kind of <clears throat> wiggle waggle P51 thing to see, okay, where am I on the runway and just keep going back and forth. Um, Cause I can't quite see over the, the, the glare screen and the, the nose. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered that. You know, the glare shield is a little bit bigger. It's certainly a little wider up there at the firewall. Yeah. And um, and the widest part of the cowling is wider also. So you're right. You kind of lose that little sliver off to the side. Yeah. I just noticed it, you know, in the last uh, few times I've been flying, it's like, you know, I've really got to do this whole little, uh, it's kind of, it makes me feel cool because I have to do it. Uh, it's exactly but, a little, huh? Yeah. It's, it's just... Just different. Well, don't you have the same? Don't you have the same tailwheel on yours though? Or? Same tailwheel, same same landing gear. So I didn't, you know, the stance doesn't seem different, but the picture does. Huh. Mike, when you come out, you need to fly my plane, and you'll see it. Okay. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have to look a little further over to the side because you you lose that little bit of you know of forward visibility. It might be only a degree or two, but it's enough to say, okay, I got to kick it over, and I got to kick it over, and I got to kick it over. It makes sense because it's the extra width, you know. I mean, you just yeah. you have to look right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, John, I mean that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. Um, it, it it's not a, a super exaggerated nose high stance when it's on a three point attitude. Um, a little bit different, you know, if you have a, a, a taller tailwheel, like the six-inch tailwheel, you might sit a little flatter, you know, than the, the stock um, plans, you know, four-inch right. tailwheel. But it's really not that hard to, uh, you know, to see in front of the airplane when you're taxiing down. So it's not a super difficult tail dragger to, to be able to see in taxi. However, um, I look at my GoPro video 
And when I'm taxiing, I got my head kind of craned all the way up to try to get that last little, you know, half an inch of yeah. height <laughs> on the seat so I can kind of see as much as I can. You still do got to kind of pay attention. And the small things will change that. And you do have to kind of do what, what's needed to clear the area in front of you. All right. Um, so I guess next up is, um, you know, the turn radius. One of the things I always brief when I'm, when I'm flying with somebody is, uh, you know, we have a fixed, a fixed, um, tailwheel that's tied directly to our rudder. It doesn't break away. So, you know, I'm getting close to the end of the runway. And of course at Roosterville, I have no taxiway. I just have a, a little grassy turnout at the end and it's a little tight. And so I have to, I have to first kind of move all the way over to one side. I have to plan my turnaround and then I have to kick the, the rudder in and do that sort of 50 foot radius, you know, turn or 50 foot diameter might be as a better, a better number. Um, and even on my narrow runway, as long as I don't, you know, totally just fall asleep while I'm taxiing, I can still get turned around. It's not so tight that I can't make it work. And if I can make it work at Roosterville, it'll work anywhere. The problem is that if you don't plan ahead, now you're stuck. You can't, you know, you can't sort of swivel the tail around unless you have a specific tailwheel. And John, this is your chance to say, yes, but I don't have that problem. Both Mike uh, and I have resolved this with the yes, uh, Flyboys breakaway RV tailwheel so that, and differential braking. So awesome. we can pivot on a wheel. Uh, we, 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 we can lock up the left or the right wheel and just pivot on it. And it's really quite handy for that kind of situation. I, I live at an air park, very narrow runway. Um, we do have taxiways, but I would rather just taxi back taxi the runway on the pavement, get down to the end, kick it around, spin it, and then get ready for my takeoff. Yeah. And this is one of those things where I'm not going to tell you, you know, you have to do this or you absolutely shouldn't do that. That's a, that's an individual type of thing. Analyze your mission. Think about what you want in life, you know, and what your goals and aspirations are and then make your own choice. You know, you're a grown up. Um, however, it's one of those things that you ought to just, you know, if you have a fixed tailwheel, you need to kind of consider that. And more than one person I've been out kind of taken for a quick orientation ride, I'll tell them like, hey, uh, you need to move all the way over to the runway before you make that U-turn. And they're like, okay, yeah, I got it. And then they don't. And I just let it go. And then when we, you know, we're nosed off and there's no way we can complete the turn, I'm like, okay, let's talk about where you went wrong. And then they have to shut down, get out, make them pick the tail out, yep. you know, do the walk of shame to kick the tail around. <laughs> and then they only do that once and then they've learned their lesson. Got to plan ahead. Right. And I'm not saying that the, the, the free swiveling tailwheel that Mike and I have is the, the perfect solution. It has its own issues. And differential tail or a differential braking has its own issues so if you want to keep it simple keep sonic stock and plan your turn right i know i know one thing that, that just because john had his before i had mine okay we were we were going probably to like reclaw maybe the first time i think and we were taxing in to some airport in I don't know where was it, John? Oklahoma or something Oklahoma like or someplace. Where you had some I don't, I huge, remember. you know, it was not, you had some. We landed. It was like a thirty knot crosswind or something. Gusting. But you had a ta you had a taxi in a in the crosswind, and you yeah. had a hard time getting to the fuel pumps because your tail kept wanting to break away. I still had the direct drive, and I had no issue. Right. So there is some plus and minuses there. Uh, 
you know, your airport, same thing. When I we used to land at your airport, uh, before I got my tail new tailwheel, uh, I had to go around onto the sandy taxiway because I couldn't make the turn at the end of the runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was so. There's a there's a couple of give and takes there. I have not had a tail breakaway yet, and I've been in some pretty strong winds with mine. But uh, I noticed you did that one day, so but, uh, that is an issue. Yeah, I got in, in that case when when what Mike's talking about is. We landed in some place uh, on a cross country, and uh, we, were, we were flying as a team of two. And as soon as I landed, I, I you know broke away on the high speed exit, and then I'm I'm motoring down towards the uh, the, the fuel pumps, and the gust grabbed my tail and just spun me, and the tail wheel broke around. And at that point, it was like, okay, I'm just I'm in the I'm in the grass. It wasn't a, a ground loop, but it was like I, I have no control of the airplane now until I stopped and then started up again and started motoring to the grass and got my tailwheel connected again. And then I was able to go back. Very, very embarrassing. So, John, I think that that's a good point. Um, analyze your own needs and your own missions. Recognize that whatever setup is going to have pros and cons. And make your decision for the right reasons. Don't make it because you think, uh, you know, some famous personality on a podcast told you you have to do this. I will never do that. Do not follow my path. That's right. And don't follow, don't follow me. <laughs> Unless you think you're stupid okay. enough to do it, then go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing, when we're talking about making like a U-turn at the end of the runway um, or turning off onto a taxiway... Um, you kind of have to watch out for how low your wings are because, you know, even compared to other low wing airplanes like a Cherokee or something like that, our wings sit really, really low to the ground. You know, we're talking like the flaps are only maybe 12 inches above the surface. And if they're hanging down, they're even could be even less. So if you cut the corner, you might whack it through the, the, the vegetation. And if there is a survey stake or a runway light or something like that, um, and you go with the wing over the top of it, there's a good chance you might whack into it. So you gotta, you gotta kind of watch out for that. If you've been flying 172s your whole time, you know, you're kind of just oblivious to all that ground clutter, but you gotta pay attention in a Sonics. John, do you remember when, um, Dave Dooley brought his Xenos into Springs East for one of our early flights. I lines. do. And, and he had that problem. You know, he was, he had to like, you know, really carefully manage his taxi because those long wings sit so low, he was afraid of dragging them through something. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I, I flew a duo discus uh, sailplane into uh, Calhan last year. Um, and, the runway lights were a big concern because we had a, a tw- it's a 20 meter sailplane. So that's what, 66 feet. And we think that the runway lights were maybe 75 apart. And, uh-huh. and, and it's a low wing. It's like, yeah, it's just, this is, this is spooky, but we got it down. So yeah, definitely uh, pay attention to the. Well, well in the airports I operate out of like, you know, Boulder city and, some even anything that's got anything that's got like even a small tower or anything like that. The, the big, the runway signs are a big deal. I mean, not just the runway lights, but the, you got to be careful where the runway signs are. Cause if there's, even if with your sonics, there, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, there's a couple places where it kind of pinches down. Like I know in Boulder City, it, there's, there's one of the other runways where it kind of pinches down real narrow before you take the runway. And if mm-hmm. you know, then you know where it's got the runway, the the yellow marks across it, and then yeah. it's got the runway. Uh, well, I tell you what, if you're not like, if you're off the one side and the other, you know, with with one of our airplanes, an RV is not a problem. But but our airplanes are so low uh, that it's it you got to kind of watch it a little bit. You would think those Cirrus guys would be knocking those things down. There are a bunch of no, rich Cirrus well, guys up there. Yeah, no, that thing. That's why they have Kevlar in the bottom of the wing, you know, the, you know exactly well, for the that. Well, the, the Cirrus wings can go right over ours, pretty much. You know, look at that thing will go right over our wing. <laughs> so we're like the lowest thing That's out not there. the type of thing. Right. It, it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you got to keep in mind until it becomes second nature. All right, and then if you're going to operate off of unpaved runways, you know, gravel or uh, grass runways, um, if you have the standard Chin Shen 400 by 4 tires, uh, they're fine on pavement. They're fine on smooth grass. But when you start to get a little bit lumpy grass or you get a a little bit rougher surface, uh, you got to start, you know, considering the surface you're going to operate on if you have those smaller tires. That's a good good reason maybe to step up to a little larger 500 by 5 tire on the standard rim because there is just a little bit of consideration on those little tiny ones. John, are you, um, are you running larger tires or do you have your, your stock ones? I have, um, actually one with the, uh, slick. Who was the guy that was, yeah, there were the slicks. Um, they're 12 by fours, I think. Um, it's a little bit bigger than the stock tire. Uh, but it's a slick um, go-kart tire that uh, has a, a much uh, more stout edge profile. I don't know if Mike had them. I don't know if you still have them, Mike. Uh, Are you I, on I with the 5x5? Five that's, five? that's the one I had the fi- flat tire in uh, Oshkosh. With. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everybody left me. And then, gear, and then uh, uh, who else? Who helped me? Uh, Carl. Carl helped me uh, change it out, and I actually bought a uh, a four hundred by four from Sonics and put it on okay. the other side to get out of there. So I took the other one off, and I went with the five hundred by fives. And now I've actually backed down to four hundred by fives again because my uh, my Great Plains brake was I couldn't get them not to rub the inside of the tire on the five hundreds. So uh, yeah, I, so I I'm I'm like between. Tires. You guys on the five by five or five hundred by five and the stock tire, yeah. And I'm I'm pretty happy with them. I mean, I've been having I've had them for over four and a half years, and they're they've been yeah. working great for me. Yeah, I think my my tube is it's split at the seam somehow. I mean, it could have been a side load. You know, I could have had a big crosswind somewhere along the See, way. See, you and had a split like, tube, and then you decided yeah. to, that that the tire was crap, so you had to go well, replace all everything. No, well, I didn't know right away. I had to buy something else, and then uh, yeah, on the spot just to get out of there. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. I just thought that. So we, I looked at the tire. You you seat. just needed me there to to, con- to walk you off that ledge I, and I say just get a new tube. Just get a new tube. I should have just, just got Mike. Tube, just get you know? a new tube. Your tire's fine. Because <clears throat> they were actually nice tires. You know, I I enjoyed flying on them. So. No, I I like them. I don't have a reason to replace them. I actually have a couple of five hundred by five 
tires that came with my glider. And I was like, yeah, maybe I put those on the side. So like, why? These ones are working great. Well, the problem with yours is, is John, is now your 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 wheel pants are going to be too small. Well, yeah, I'd have to cut them out, and I'm tired of working on the Sonics. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's just one of those things. Um, depending on the surface you're operating on, just just be aware that um, you know they're relatively small tires, and you just need to have um, you know kind of a, a non lumpy surface, and you'll be fine. Uh, on that same note, if you have your wheel pants, depending on how you fit them, the wheel pants can be really, really low to the ground also. And so you might start to to um, bang the bottom of your wheel pant and you can actually start to tear out the, the screws out of the fiberglass if you get them, you know, stuck in some tall grass or something like that. Yeah. And also, it also it, you know, you're, you go back to the, uh, the visible, you know, when you're taxing out and you're looking at the, the sight picture, that... That bigger tire and the smaller tire makes a big dip, makes a big dip. It's, it, it's a yeah. noticeable difference to me. Well, I'm sure so, if I put the 500 by fives on mine, I'd be, uh, you know, I'm basically a, a, I'm doing Charles Lindbergh takeoffs. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. You're, you're exactly. You're, you're, you're. Uh, it puts it puts it up in the air. That's for sure. Yeah, Mike. I mean, there's a noticeable difference. You're right. If you have uh, 500 by fives on the mains and a stock four inch tailwheel. You know, you have a, a noticeably nose-high attitude compared to the standard tires with the six-inch tailwheel, the six-inch upgrade tailwheel. You know, you sit a lot flatter. And so it's only a couple of degrees, but you'll notice it in just how you sit and see over and, the And that'll, that, so that'll come, in, none of that's a that'll problem, come into play down the road when we're talking about the full-stall side of the landing, you know, the look. Because you don't, you can't really get a full-stall landing with the, the flatter the right. flatter setup. Yeah. You know, so. that's, well, let's move yeah. on to uh, let's move on takeoff attitude and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess maybe I'll just tee this up and then I'll kick it over to you, John. Um, there are really kind of three techniques you could use uh, on takeoff. You could do the three point takeoff, where you kind of hold it in that three point attitude and just sort of leaps off the ground and flies away. You can do sort of a tail low takeoff, where you accelerate, you lift the tail a few inches, and it's kind of you know, it's not like a full level attitude, so tail low takeoff, or you can raise the tail up like you're doing a wheel landing and then accelerate and then re-rotate and take away. So why don't you talk through what you think the pros and cons of each of those and what you recommend doing? Um, okay, so my <clears throat> preferred technique, uh, you know, I'm a, <clears throat> let, me, let me also uh, preface this with, I probably have now more or almost as many takeoffs and landings in a Piper Pawnee towing sailplanes, uh, which I don't get to choose when I depart the runway. I It basically is all about speed and when the glider lifts off uh, in my attitude. But the way I like to do my sonics is I will do my run up, bring it up to full power release the brakes, and then I go full forward stick as I am accelerating down the runway until the tail comes up to normal wheel landing attitude. Then I, I release the stick a little bit, let it get up to speed, get into ground effect, and then I just lift off. And the reason I do that is I think I have better control, especially in a crosswind situation. If I get the tail up 
that I can now crab. I can uh, do a little bit of a slip to keep it on the runway. And maybe is, if it's pushing me off, then I have more control. And so I really do like the full forward stick, get the tail up, and then fly the plane off the runway. Um, I have taken off where it's almost neutral, and you just let the plane fly off. But at that point, you don't have a good feel for what's going on with the environment, and then you have to adjust. So I like I, maybe it's a more aggressive approach, but um, full forward stick, get the tail flying, and then fly off. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Well, <clears throat> I tried that. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just because of the Sonics versus the YX. I don't know if it's the difference in that. Uh, I tried that with mine. And I think there's too much going on there during and all at once the tail, the tail on my airplane wanted to, wanted to pop up like it wanted to come up really quickly. And it was hard to maintain the directional control for me just because I'm probably heavy footed. Maybe I don't know. So kind of what I do is I've done the three point takeoffs there. That's fine. No issues. Uh, but I, I'm like John, though, I, I I'd rather. You know, you get torque and you get P factor, and I would rather I, I bring the power up. I keep the stick in my gut and keep the tail on the ground. I, I bring the power all the way to full, and then when I see maybe like you know thirty miles an hour or something like that, then I start I start working the tail up because then I'm I've already dealt with the torque. Now I'm just you know I'm worried about I'm, I'm just taking things one at a time. And then, so basically, I come up, and I like coming up because if you have crosswind, just for what John said, you can control it a little bit easier if you get it up on the mains, uh, if you, before you before you get it off the ground. And that's kind of my. And I use flaps. I use about a. I actually I have the electric flaps on mine, so like John does on his, I actually did what the B models guys did. I actually put the paint or the the little tape marks for uh, for full and for like takeoff and so i just kind of put it at like the 10 percent or the one notch type thing and then that's kind of what i do so mm -hmm. yeah it's funny because um you know i do almost exactly the same thing and i think for the, a lot of the same reasons um i have i have flown all three different types of techniques and i prefer as just my normal thing i i put in one notch of flaps i think it does help kind of pitch the nose down a little bit on on takeoff and landing right. helps get the tail up um, I start my takeoff roll full back stick to keep the tailwheel firmly, you know, steer me down the yep. runway. And when I see the airspeed come alive at around 30 or so, um, I just then I go to full forward stick to raise the tail. I level it off in kind of the level wheel landing attitude until I'm ready to rotate and climb out at, you know, 50 or 60 or whatever. Usually that happens so fast, you just kind of blow right through. And you're, you're probably going a little faster than you need to by the time you actually, you know, pitch for for actual rotation and climb out, but it doesn't really matter because you got a little extra speed. Everything's right. going good. You have a chance to, to kind of build everything and you just fly away smartly. And for me, what I like about that is flying out of my very narrow runway at Roosterville. Um, when I'm in the three point attitude, I can't see the runway at all. It's just, I mean, the runway is too narrow. It's only, it's only, you know, like 18 feet wide. And so, I mean, it's like a centerline stripe. You just, it disappears. <laughs> And the sooner I can kind of get the tail up, I can see over the nose right, again. Right. And then I could see if there was an obstruction on the side. If there was another person on the runway 
that was getting ready to kind of taxi in front of me. I just, I, I can't see him real well unless the tail is up. And I feel more comfortable having better visibility because of the, the narrowness and the obstructions. So if I'm over at a big airport, um, I tend to do kind of the, the neutral stick takeoff where you just, you kind of hold a little bit of back stick to hold the tail on the ground while you accelerate. And then you just sort of relax it to kind of a neutral, you know, what would be kind of like a climb attitude. And when the plane is ready, if you're off. holding that stick kind of neutrally, yeah, it just flies. It just levitates and flies away. And that's super easy. But you can't really see anything. You're just kind of like, you know, you're along for the ride. You're steering, of course. But you're not, you know, you got plenty of t- plenty of runway. You can see everything really well. And so there's no reason to, I guess, worry about it. Well, and Jeff, I think some of the maybe the differences, um, the way X's are trimmed via spring, you know, uh, by a spring on uh-huh. the, the elevator where you guys might have yeah. you may use the same trim system but you also might have a uh a trim tab and right and i do have a tab <clears throat> so See, my, I, I don't i i have like you i'm like you i, I have the yeah bias. remember with but yeah. I, I i just like having I, even if i'm on a big runway like i go to centennial <clears throat> a lot with my way x and i just i do it the same way it, it, it's just the way i'm used to it it's like I get on that big ass uh, ten thousand foot runway that's one hundred and fifty feet wide, and it's I'm full forward on the stick. Boom, I'm up, and then I'm off. And it's just I, I just get very comfortable with it. Um, but I do understand you guys is you know wanting to keep that tailwheel down a little longer, but I don't. I like to get it up off the ground because I I. Maybe I'm just a stick and rubber guy. It's like, you know, I'd rather have it off the ground and be. I fly Although the plane. I think, I think at that at that point in time, you know, the, the time I flew your airplane, uh, John, I think uh, your airplane's not as sensitive at that point in time as I think the regular tail is. And I think that's that might be part of it because, yeah. of, the, because of having the angle, the elevators, uh, they're whatever they are, rudder baiter or something. Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the goofy little V tail thing yeah. in the back. Yeah. So I think, I, but I think, I think you could get away with that because when, when it, when it does come up, it's, you still have some control over it where mine just mine always just popped up like really fast. And, and, and if you're yeah. not right on the rudder, you, you know I mean? I could probably do it now. I could probably try it now and do it. And it probably, it wouldn't be as big a deal. But when I was brand new with the airplane, I was, I, I couldn't do that uh, that way. So and when when I fly the Pawnee, uh, I rarely take off without a glider behind me. But when I do it, I do it the same way, and it does it. it you know, it kind of surprises me sometimes because like, hey, it's coming up, and I'm I'm flying now, so I got to really work on okay. this. I'm probably making it harder than I need to. And, and I've seen the guys do. I've seen a couple of. Uh, there's somebody out there that does a video that. Uh, they do the three point the whole time, which is fine. It's just that when you're coming off three point, that the last thing you're dragging that tail as you're as you're coming off the ground. If you're coming off pretty kind of a you're popping off at a high angle attack, I think. So I I just don't like I I don't that. like it because you're not flying the plane. You're launching it. Yes. I like plus I like seeing over the nose. I like seeing where I'm going to go. I, I like to just issue. have the plane flying, fly off the runway instead of uh, being launched. Yes. yes. So I don't do the other one. I just, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Now, if you, if you kind of like, you know, measure out your takeoff roll performance 
probably the shortest distance you're going to get is to get the airplane flying and climbing away as fast as possible. So that might that mean, point. you know, holding the stick kind of neutral yeah. and it just pops off the ground and you're, you're gone. Maybe that's the most effective. But what I found is a lot of times if you're trying to do that, you're, you're probably holding a little bit too much back elevator. And then it sent, like you said, it Mike, starts, it tends to pop yes. off the ground and the nose shoots up. And you got to be ready to pitch the yes. nose back down because you've overshot it. You're holding in the wrong neutral position. So unless you kind of get that feel down, um, just be aware that you might have overpitched it right at the very beginning and you're going to have to correct quickly. Yep, I agree. I guess the last thing, um, all of our experience is in Jabru powered airplanes. And so we have plenty of acceleration, plenty of performance. If you are flying in a lower-powered airplane, you have, a, say, a naturally aspirated AeroV, you're going to have to just build more speed. And so there may be some advantage to, you know, getting the tail at least out of the grass a little earlier to let it continue to accelerate before you try to pitch it and, and climb out. And so, again, our comments um, are, I think, very applicable for the Jabiru-powered planes, you might have to experiment with your slower rate of acceleration on takeoff if you're flying an AeroV, and especially if you're flying at high density altitude, um, you, you have a much longer takeoff roll. Anyway. And then you have the other so rudder. The other this rudder is where is. Gary could, uh, <laughs> yeah, gotta, yeah. This is where Gary could uh, really he elaborate could, yeah, on you know his takeoff. Yeah, he could he could jump right in here. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we're. Um, we're, we're climbing out. Everything's good. And, um, you know, we're making our, our pattern turns and all that. Let's talk about just typical speeds as we're going around the pattern. So, Mike, what do you like to shoot for when you're flying patterns? Just walk us well, through around. I mean, you know, I come into the pattern like on a, let's say, well, let's say we're climbing out since we were doing that, I guess, initially. So I kind of like just push to over to where I can see over the nose. And usually uh, that gets you, you know, and Jeff, you would confirm this, but it usually gets you around 100 miles an hour in that range. And I think that I tend to climb, cruise climb like that. I mean, unless I need to get out of up and out, you know, where you do your your best angle kind of thing. It also keeps the engine a little bit cooler depending on what temperature you're flying in and so forth. And then basically I just turn yeah. crosswind and then uh, in, in cruise climbing. And if I stay in the pattern, there's no reason to go fast. I mean, there's no reason to, you know, if I'm going to turn downwind, I'm just going to pull the power back, and and I don't want to get too far up above the the, the white arc, you know, for the flaps. Uh, now, if I'm going to go out and go somewhere and turn around and come back, and I'm going to do 150 or 60 coming down on the 45 degree entry, by by the time I'm midfield uh, downwind, I'm I'm pulling, I'm already got the power back, and I'm I'm trying to get <laughs> below a below a below the flap speed basically at 100. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then just, just, uh, you know, if you're, if, as you continue on, then when you get your, your 45 degree angle, then you just, you know, I'm actually off the end of downwind. I might, I'll probably throw a notch of flaps in and, and, uh, I'm getting more like Gary where I don't tend to do a, uh, you know, they're all talking new now about the, the, the constant turn, you know, type thing from, from, uh, downwind to base to final, because it, it sometimes it precludes your possible stall spin uh, accidents, I think. But I tend to do more of that now, like Gary talks about, where you can control your energy management as you're coming, and you, you can just judge. You're talking you about need. the racetrack 
pattern, right? More of a racetrack, more of a racetrack type. Yeah, just a continuous yes. turn, you know, from downwind through base and continuing to turn because right Because I final. think the, the problem with this airplane uh, is the rudders are so light that you can get out of coordination and all at once you look, because you can't really feel them as well as you can on another, and plus it's short coupled. And I think for me, I'm always watching my ball to keep my ball center. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, keep your ball centered. <laughs> Mike, keep always ball keep your ball centered. <laughs> so anyhow, but I'm saying, you know, it's it's uh, so 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 if you do the constant rate coming down around, you've already got you're already coordinated, so to speak, barring yeah, you know tur- turbulence and things. <laughs> center all the way down. But uh, I think once you do each turn like that, if you do a crisp turn. There, you're always having to look down to make sure you're 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 uh, in coordination, so you don't because you know if you get slow and you get the wrong rudder or you get the top, you know whatever. I mean, you can put yourself in a bad spot, you know, as far as uh, aerodynamically. So, uh, so I, I I'm more like Gary, and I just kind of bring it around energy management. I stay coordinated. Uh, I add flaps as needed because I have the electric flaps. Uh, and if it's windy and gusty, I do I do probably about half flaps, and if it's Nice and calm. I I do full flap landing, you know, and, and uh, come across about sixty and and uh, touch it down in the fifty range. You know, mine does because it's a flatter a flatter touchdown. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, that's all. I think we're all going to have very similar numbers. Well, not um, me. I like to fly downwind. I like to fly downwind um, around one hundred and twenty. Um, Usually that you have to pull the power back on the jabber. You have to pull oh, yeah. it back to get it down to sure. 120. But if you're over 120, you know, you're zipping right along. You're eating up a lot of real estate for no good sure. reason. So might as well start getting slowed down. If you're under 120, that's fine. Um, I want to, I want to turn base and I want to be somewhere around 90 to, to just to slowing to around 80 on base. So if you're, you know, if you're going to put your first notch of flaps in before you turn base, you need to be below 100 anyway. Sure. So 120 slowing to 100 on downwind, you know, 90 to slow into 80 on base, turn final, you know, at, at 80 slow into 70. And then when you come over the numbers, you're in that 65 to 60 range. And then when you're in the flare, you're looking for that, you know, 50, 55. And that's kind of the way I do it. And it's just kind of a, a gradual, continuous deceleration, you know. Pretty much the same way. You, you just you just threw the base and you just threw the extra speeds in there, but I probably unconsciously do the same thing. Yeah, you know, just once you know the airplane, you just you know, you know what you need to be. You know, one thing I do though, which is a little different, is I'm not really paying attention to the air speeds. I have a pneumatic uh, uh, lift reserve gauge <clears throat> on my plane, and I really kind of fly that in the pattern. So as I'm coming in, it's you know, it's graphical. It's hard to explain, but basically, it's it's calibrated to stall at the. There are three. Uh, there's a red, white, and green uh, range on the gauge, and I've calibrated it that I stall at the middle of the red. And so, what I do is I come in, um, it, and it's measuring the the lift differential between. Uh, the top of the wing and the bottom of the wing. And as I come in, I will bring it in at the bottom of the white and whatever that angle of attack and speed and density altitude is. And then 
on final, I will start dropping it down below the red. And then at that point, I know that I'm at, at about the point that I need to, that I'll be approaching my, my landing. And then, you know, a little bit of a flare and I'm, I'm down. And it, it really has helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't pay attention to the actual airspeeds much anymore. It, I'm looking at that gauge. Well, and you've, right. you've actually had to use that a couple of times, if I remember, uh, for real. So that's why you know that so well. <laughs> and, and what I've learned is I've, I've learned to trust it very well. And on, well, because you've actually had actual on takeoff, where you had to use it, right? Yeah. Well, and, and the fun thing is on takeoff, I'll, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll rotate, I'll get into ground effect and I'll get it up to maybe 120 miles an hour. And I'll watch that gauge come up almost to the green. And then I can do a zoom climb out of the pattern and watch that gauge as I'm, you know, aggressive turn into the pattern. Um, as it degrades my, my lift, it comes down towards that red. And then I just release the pressure on the stick and I know that I'm not going to stall it and, and spin it into the ground. So it's, it's a great gauge for doing this pattern work. Yeah, and you know, angle of attack indicators um, are really catching on. Uh, a lot of our EFISs have the provision to display angle of attack using a differential pressure probe. You know, the Dynon will do it. I know MGL will yeah. as well. You, you have, or you can do a standard analog. Well, you have one, you know, gauge. You have one, right? So I do. Yeah, I have it hooked up to my Dynon, and um, I like it. And with the Dynon, they have a graphical indication on there. But it also has a tone. And so as you get higher and higher angle of attack, you start to get some beeping and the beeping gets more and more consistent and it gets almost solid at your stall angle of attack. So it's real easy on final to just kind of hear, you know, the, the, the beeping, knowing that, you know, you're getting kind of close. You're not, you know, you're not getting too slow and too high angle of attack. And if you hear that a little too early on final and you think, well, that's a little bit, you know, I'm, I need a nose down. Nose down a little, little bit. Pro- It's easy to kind of just. Power. Yeah. Right. And so you, I, I think that, you know, Dynon's approach of using the sound to um, free you up to, to well, look that's, elsewhere. That's more like, I kind of like that's that. It's more like a glider, you know, thing when you're looking for lift, right, John? You're, just, you're looking for. Uh, well, we have, we have the variometers, yeah, that are beeping at us, uh, either it's, uh, it's a, a similar thing or a, for a different reason, you know, a basically. sad sound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But rather than having a graphical display yeah. um, that you have to look at, I like the tone. The tone. Um, I think thing. it's nice that they give you that option to have the sound. No, so. I, I like the sound idea. I don't, I just have, don't have that with mine. Mine's all, so. mine's purely pneumatic. So all I see right. is a, a, a gauge with a needle. But it's and also can, nice because if I lose all of my electronics, which I have done, I can land that plane safely because I know I'm in lift. All right, I have enough lift reserve to land the and plane. And I tried to order that thing, and I don't know if that guy's out of business or what, but. I've always had trouble ordering that because I was going to replace. I might have been the last guy that bought it. You might have because I've tried. The the website's still up, but you can't seem to order it. The the phone rings off the hook. And I remember I tried to order it several years ago, and I I just, I cannot get it. You know, the funny thing is the probe is a 3D printed uh, probe, and I, I probably could figure out how to get that made. And the gauge is a pneumatic, uh, gauge for an air, an HVAC system filter gauge. So it mm-hmm. measures the differential <clears throat> pressure between in the front of the filter and the back of the filter when you change the filter. Mm-hmm. So that's all. So you could, easy, you could easy start the business up in your retirement. I don't need a new business. 
<laughs> Mike, you do. I think you're the important a part. Airline pilot, and you're going to be unemployed. Yeah, pretty much. About a year and a half, right? <laughs> I think the important part to keep in mind is um, you need to have a gradual slowing, a gradual increase in angle of attack. It's real easy in a Sonics, slippery airplane, to point the nose at the threshold and you're zipping right along. And then you're way too fast coming over the threshold, and that causes all kinds of problems. We don't have the drag on tap that you do in a Pawnee or a Super Cub or even a Cessna where you can drop 40 degrees of flaps. Um, we do have, you know, we can slip and that works well. We can drop full flaps and that also works well. But it's a sleek little airplane. And so if you're not staying ahead of it and gradually slowing down as you make your way around to final, you're going to set yourself up in the wrong position going way too fast and you're going to complicate your landing. Well, you know, just, um, it's just or you're going to have well. to go around, you know, basically. Yeah. Right. And also, but yeah. mine, mine also have the big flaps. So that does, and I've flown John's. And, and Jeff, you've flown mine. I think it's a big, it's a fair amount of difference with the with the bigger flaps. It, absolutely, very noticeable. Yeah. So on on the small flap with the acro ailerons, when you go to full flap with the small flap, um, yeah, you get some drag, and you get you know maybe a twenty percent increase in in rate of descent or thirty percent, you know whatever the number is. But it doesn't feel like dramatic, like wow, this is really dropping us out right. of the sky. With the big flap. All the way down, you get a lot of drag, and you can really come down a lot faster. And so that's going to change how you're going to fly that approach. But I think the the critical thing is uh, the stabilized approach is the best. I mean, once you get your your speed set up and you're on final, if you can just stabilize everything, it all works out well. But if you're coming in and you're forcing it in, that little plane does not like a lot of speed on landing. No. I've proven that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, we all have. Right. We all and, have, yeah. yeah I, I've had yeah, I mean, Jeff is, is, he's the Tigger King. We've seen it over and well, over I'm again. I'm talking about him. even you got too much energy, you know, like just, just not too long ago out here where I'm at, it's, I land, landed into the wind, but it's a, it's a downhill grade, almost worse than, than Meadow Lake. And, so I came across what I thought was a reasonable speed, and it was bumpy and warm and everything. And I tell you what, I just I wasn't sure I was going to stop by the end of the runway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was I was like, oh man, I should have gone around there, you know. But I got stopped. But it's like, you know, uh, get your yeah, Mike. And if you look at the accident statistics, um, you know, Sonics has a fair number of just landing mishaps. Yes, they do. And you know, a lot of those can be can be traced to either the crosswinds are are high and you're losing directional control, or you're just coming in too fast and you're losing it. You know, we don't have all these stall spin on final accidents. You know, we we have maybe maybe some stall spins in the data, right, but right. they're not. They're not like the classic stall spin coming into landing. They're, you know, you're going too fast because it's a well, sleek little airplane. Tend, so you really got to pay attention tend to, to I think when it's bumpy and it's turbulent, you tend to just, you know, unconsciously, you tend to, to fly with extra speed. And maybe, maybe it right. fly with probably too much speed extra. Where maybe you need to go like five miles an hour. You know, a lot of us, some people, you sometimes you'll have 10 or 15 and that's way, that's way too much. You know, Mike, I've, I, and this is where Gary is the king. I, is I have I've leaned myself to flying a little faster in the Sonics on landing uh, just because it's easier. And Gary always flies that darn plane 
you know, he is dead, as slow as he can get. And he lands, you know, in 500 feet. And it's like, how do you do that every time, Gary? You know, dead on landing. And, but, you know, mm-hmm. I love the, I, I like the extra speed. I'm sorry. If, if there's any kind of a crosswind, if there's any gusting, I want that extra well, 10 miles an hour. I try to bleed it off. I, you know, I hold that, you know, extra speed. But when I'm on short final, I try to do whatever I can to, or maybe just ahead of that, I try to do whatever I can to bleed it off, you know, because it does, it, you will float and that ground you know, effect you're so low to the ground, you know, you'll float like crazy. I know. Yeah. I fly gliders. I know the, the whole thing. Yeah, you know the float thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're coming from another airplane that um, doesn't have that tendency, uh, coming in too, too fast on final is likely going to be a worse problem than coming in too slow. And so you got to kind of get yourself in the right frame of mind and really focus right. on your speed control. So. Hey, let's just talk real quick about flaps. So we talked about the big flaps have a lot of drag, but on, you know, when you, when you first put those flaps down, um, you know, like, like a lot of airplanes, the first part of your flap deployment gives you quite a nice little increase in lift. And so, you know, I like to use flaps on takeoff. We talked about this just a little bit ago because it helps get the tail up and it just, you know, gives you that extra little bit and it makes takeoff a little easier and, and more comfortable. You don't have to do that and you might not even notice that much of a difference, but I just, that's my procedure and I like to do that. Um, but you really notice it, you know, going from that first notch to the second notch, or if you have that intermediate notch, um, where you also notice it is the amount of oomph it takes to deploy those flaps. You can pull that first notch of flaps at a hundred miles an hour or even faster. You know, that's the flap speed to hundred, but you could physically pull that on without a whole lot of problem, you know, going faster than a hundred, but you absolutely just can't go to full flaps at a hundred miles an hour. It is, it's a lot of force on those flaps and, and on that lever. So you got to slow down and with the full flaps going straight to 30, you know, you need to slow down significantly. You ought to be, you know, below 70 miles an hour before you try to pull them turkeys on there. Well, like I say with John and I, but we have both have the electric flaps and, uh, so mine will come out and won't be an issue. The biggest problem with me is is it, the way it the way it pitches over. I mean, if you if you it'll it'll muscle them right out there. But boy, I tell you what, you better be hanging on because it's going to want to pitch you right over. Yeah, and your, I, your I, trim can't your and your trim can't keep up. You know what I mean? So I've noticed with Mike's plane is yeah, you put a little flap in and it, it it's pushing your nose right down. <laughs> of course, like, I get big flaps. I get yeah. yeah see, and I you noticed just changed the John's, whole. When I flew John's, I didn't notice near as bad. But like your yours, you won't have any issue either, Jeff. But uh, but mine, man, I tell you what, it really pitches you. It really, I almost have to trim. Bef- I trim. Bef- I try to get as much trim in because it's electric trim. I try to get as much like as I can in before I put my flaps out, because when I put my flaps out, then it doesn't pitch over. The pitch over is not as, as drastic. That's kind of the pre- mm-hmm. procedure I use myself. Yeah. So just think about, you know, having all the different combinations of planes I've flown with big flaps and small flaps and trim levers right. and trim, you know, spring bias and all that. Um, for, for just simply flying, I think the small flap with the trim lever is about the simplest yeah. you can get. The flaps don't have as much pitching moment. The, the trim lever is very effective and yeah. quick and can easily, you know, trim it out. Um, and you get enough added drag when you go to full flaps that you can still kind of use them to control your glide path, but not so much that it's, um, you know, excessive and you're not feel like the bottom's falling out. 
However, you know, as, as nice as that is for just everyday flying, um, if you want to do like Gary and you want to plop that turkey down on the X and turn off, you know, both the time you get to the end of the numbers, you, you really kind of need that extra flap um, available. And so, you know, again, it goes back to mission, you know, depending on what you need, you might want that extra flap and to be able to go to those full, you know, big, big flaps um, or not. And so just think about that when you're choosing your configuration. All right, so we're we're on the ground um, after you know you have successfully floated halfway down your <laughs> runway, and uh, and we're back down. <laughs> Let's talk about that transition where we've just touched down, um, John. What do you think? Is a Sonics well behaved? Is it a handful? Does it have problems <laughs> maintaining directional control? Put it in perspective. Well, that all depends on uh, weather conditions. It um, does. Primarily, yes, it's very well behaved. Um, the uh, you know, if you have any kind of a, a crosswind component, if you don't keep full backstick, the tailwheel may chatter as it's fighting the crosswind, um, or it, it may chatter even if you are fighting the crosswind. Uh, but uh, normally, it's a very well behaved uh, aircraft on the ground. When, once you've once you've gotten out of flying attitude and the, the, there's no more lift to, uh, to raise either wing or yeah, basically. Yeah. And you know, there have been a handful of people that have ground looped their Sonics. Um, but usually the weather conditions are really aggravated. Maybe they had a, a particular problem on the ground. It's just not something that happens regularly. Um, you can't fall asleep on landing. That's not what we're saying, but in terms of, you know, how controllable is it? How well does it track this, the center line, all that? It's extremely well behaved. And, you know, compared to a cub or a champ, um, it is an order of magnitude easier on land. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, you mm-hmm. know, the high wings, tailwheel, tailwheel planes, you've got to be flying them all the way till you, till you uh, tie them down. Um, Sonics, you can get a little lazy. Once, once it quits flying, it's going to go wherever you point it. Yeah, and once you scrub off the first, you know, you, you touch down and say, even at, say, 45, um, by the time you hit 30, uh, your directional control problems are, 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 you know, if you were going to have problems, they're pretty well gone. The only thing that you might get is a little bit of weather veining as you start to slow in really strong crosswinds. But you're not fighting to keep it on the runway. You know, doing training in a in a champ is a really good preparatory exercise because if you can keep that thing under control by the time you jump into a you slide, trouble. you're gonna think man this is easy <clears throat> well and if you follow the the typical uh you know methods of of ground you know where you where do you place your stick while taxiing into the wind um you know it's you don't have to do it as much as you would a high wing cub um but it does help to to and it's a good practice to get into. Just you know, oh, push I think your stick into the wind. Yep, I agree. Yeah, with, with me touching down, I think I tend to, I tend to uh, just right like Jeff was saying, right at that little, right at that 10, 15 mile an hour when you're just just touching, it's a little sensitive. But then the slower you get, it's like it just it, you know you just point it where you go and just like John said, and it's not a big deal. 
Uh, we, you know, it's more of a bigger deal probably with him in mind because we have the toe breaks. Uh, but with Jeff, it probably is a little more tamer for you, I would think. Well, I don't know if it's more tamer yeah, with the, without the toe breaks. I mean, it, you just have well, – we saying. have actually more control. We could – we well, can yeah, kick but a little we, toe, you're not, but you're but you're not putting simultaneous braking on like the no, it, and that that's one thing I want to emphasize. If you do have the differential braking, you don't land it with the braking. You don't steer it with the braking. Oh, you no. steer it with the rudder. You don't. You know the the the, the whole differential braking is at the very end when you need to to kick sure. that tail. Oh around. yeah, yeah. But then, but sometimes what I'm saying is. When you start, when you start putting your brakes, applying your brakes, mm-hmm. sometimes you, if you have, if you're holding a little bit of correction there, th- then you're, you're actually going to unconsciously, you're not going to push the same on one brake as the other. It just takes you a nanosecond to figure that out, you know, mm-hmm. and then you just, but that's the only issue where, where, where the straight Johnson bar brakes are uh, probably a lot more tame, you know, I would think, because you're breaking both wheels mm-hmm. equally. Now, the, there's something else. Um, on some airplanes, uh, there are people that, that really like to, as soon as they're on the ground, they like to bring the flaps up. The idea is that you bring the flaps up and you start to kill the lift, and now it's going to stay planted on the wheels and you're not going to bounce back into the air or anything like that. And, and that may be a perfectly valid technique. Um, in a Sonics, I, I don't think there's any real benefit to that. It's not like we're, we're floating on the main wheels. When we're down, we're down. You know, it lands pretty slow anyway. And over there, kind of the, the taking your attention off of steering the yep. airplane straight to try to reach over there and do something with the flaps, it's just not worth the time. So leave the flaps until you're down really slow. Then you can worry about bringing them up if you don't want to taxi through the weeds or something like that. Well, that's a that's an interesting point. When I fly the Pawnee, you know, I land in full flaps and it's got these tiny little, I don't know, they're, they're you know, maybe two foot flaps on these on the Pawnee. But I always bring it up after landing because i don't want to take any rocks against them um you know i'm, I'm more uh, interested in, in preserving the integrity of the aircraft but in the sonics i don't want to bring them up because i got to put them back down after i get out of the airplane and have to hop out of the thing so right it's about mm-hmm. laziness. And, I, I, and i and i still think they probably have <laughs> yeah there you go i still think they probably have some drag help you know uh you know, I grew up. I grew up learning how to, you know, bring the flaps up because it gets the weight on the wheels and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, as you're slowing down, I still think, especially with my flaps, I think you're you're probably getting a little bit of drag help there well, versus versus being, you know, being clean, you know, being a clean wing, so to speak. My uh, my yeah. sailplane has uh, full um, flapper ons right. on it. And the typical technique is once you land, you go full negative flaps to, uh, which is 12 degrees of negative flaps, to firmly plant the sailplane on the ground and gives you really good aileron control. Um, You know, we don't have that, obviously, that option with the Sonics. But, you know, there there are techniques out there that uh, we haven't really explored. I think negative flaps on the Sonics could be really interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know these techniques that uh, they have their place. I just think for a sonic specific landing, um, you're not going to see a, a ton of benefit. And so my recommendation is just keep, keep it simple. Exactly. Don't don't mess with them until you're you know you're down and slow, and and then you can reposition them. You know, like you say, to keep a rock from banging right. into it or 
or just leave them down because you're going to be getting out. You know, if I'm anyway. if I'm gonna if I'm landing at, at uh, Oshkosh, I'm gonna probably bring them up because I'm gonna be driving through the grass and the dirt and the rocks. Oh, the and then yeah. I'll pull I'll drop yeah. them back down to get out of my airplane. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing uh, I want to point out is uh, sometimes you might get a little bit of a, a shake on on rollout, you know, a little bit of shimmy or, you know, something like that. There is a variety of reasons why that might be happening. You could have sloppy fit in your landing gear legs. You could have a broken landing gear bolt. You could have any number of things. But more than likely, you have an out-of-balance tire that needs to be balanced, mm-hmm. and you need to pull that turkey off and throw it on the balancer. Mm-hmm. John, you use those little tire balance beads. How did you like those? Oh no, they're still in the in the plane. I never took them out. Yeah, <laughs> um, the yeah, you're right though. Uh, what I put in was uh, a motorcycle uh, balance beads, and you you basically take the valve out of the uh, stem of the tube, and the, it's it's basically little sand beads, you know, like sandblaster beads. You dump it in there, you know, probably an ounce of them, and seal it back up, and it dynamically balances your wheel every time it spins. Works great. Right, and uh, that's that's a really slick solution. But if your wheel is out of balance, um, it will excite that solid titanium gear leg into starting into a, an oscillation. Oh, yeah. It'll feel like, you know, you got something wrong. or Hey, my plane is shimmying like crazy. Yeah, okay, it, it, that's what that's what you're noticing, but the root cause is more than likely an out of balance tire. So you need to you need to address that and just be on the lookout for that. Um, that's not normal. It's not something that every airplane does. There's a reason why you're doing it. You need to. Bob you need to Micah had some great videos that he took of his landing gear with an out of balance tire, and that's what convinced me to do this uh, balance beats. Well, that mm-hmm. and then of course the guys that if, if you have the your tires balanced. You're still getting your shimmy, your gear, your gear shimmy with the titanium. Then we did what you know. I mean, I, I've never flown it where I felt that, but uh, when we were doing the build with mine, we put that you know went to the department, the aviation department of Lowe's, and bought those quarter the quarter round trim. Quarter, right. uh, oh, the yeah, the wood pieces. Yeah, the, the, the stiffeners that went around, and you just you just strap them to the to the titanium. I have those. I have those too. Oh yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we both did that. Yeah, yeah. You, you can look at uh, my website if you want more details on it. But um, especially when you get heavier in a Sonics, um, I, th- I think you're more likely to um, get a little bit of shimmy under certain conditions. And if you put that wood stiffener on the gear leg, um, it, it eliminates yeah. that. So if you have a problem, that's another technique that can um, push that that oscillation out of the range that we care about and it's basically just stolen right out of rv land that's what they do on theirs and so we just copy them and it works yeah great. basically it just takes out any uh, uh what do they call it uh harmonic imbalance in the system mm-hmm. all right so uh we talked about you know landing and rollout but let's uh let's back up if we were going to do a touch and go what are the things that we want to consider if we're going to, you know, only slow down long enough to do whatever, and then we're going to pour power on and go. Mike, what well, do you think? The one thing I noticed that if I'm going to do a touch and go, uh, uh, I actually like, you know, my trim is set up to where it's got a little bit of forward. I have to, I have to hold a little bit of aft stick uh, as I'm coming down to flare. Anyhow, I'd rather have that 
because if I'm going to do a touch and go, I don't have to, I don't have to do a big throw of the elevator, you know what I mean? To, to overcompensate the trim on final, uh, to, as I'm adding the power mm-hmm. back in to do the touch and go. Uh, so I, and I tend to not, I might actually, you know, when I've done touch and goes, sometimes I'll do ended up it, it, the way I roll, it'll end up being a wheel landing. Uh, Cause, uh, Cause I guess I'm, I know I'm going to go around. So I just kind of push, I, I, yeah. I just relax the, 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 the elevator a little bit. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm on the mains and I just leave it there and then gradually increase the power. And then, uh, as, as I'm, uh, climbing out, then I, then I start milking the flaps up. So. Yeah. And John, you talk about, you know, wanting to fly the airplane and take off. I love doing that. You come in, you do a really yeah. nice wheel landing. You, you fly tail high for, you know, 500 feet down the runway. You pour the power on, you go around yeah. and do it again. That's a great. Well, you know, you guys are bringing up a really interesting point. Um, and it brings up a, a memory. Uh, I had a, a fighter pilot flight instructor that was teaching me how to do, um, you know, he was, he was basically giving some pointers on, on flying gliders. And he goes, I always, he, he said he, in a, in the fighter aircraft, when he was flying formation, um, he would always push forward trim so that he always had pressure on the stick on his fingers. So if he let go, he would dip down. And so it was always that if I, if I lost any kind of a, you know, if he, he lost consciousness or whatever, he would drive, dive it down. And he said the nice thing about that was he always knew where the plane was with the pressure of the stick. Not He mm-hmm. never trimmed it neutral. He always trimmed it a little bit forward. And this is the case of on landing. I've been doing that subconsciously almost is I like a little bit of forward pressure or on the you know trim so that. I'm always pulling back a little bit on the stick. And if I let go, I always go a little faster. I don't know how you guys feel about that. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of how I, you know, because of the way mine, I have a hard time getting it really far aft anyhow. So I like, I've, I've learned now that I like that where I'm, where I'm having to pull a little, I'm having to hold a little bit of back pressure. So, and, and it's so, and it's yeah, so light, exactly. it's not that big a deal, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can trim it and you're right. And it adds safety. It's, it's a safety thing. Yeah. And, and so and we're not talking about a lot of back pressure. We're just talking about no, no, enough no. to say it's, I know where it is. And so I can just always just relax it and I'm going to go faster. And, you know, faster is safety. Even though you're pointing down, you're going faster. Yeah. And also, I think it's about your better, yeah. you know, you talked about the touch and go. But I think you're set up that way better if you have to do a go around. Like, say, somebody comes out on the runway or something like that. And now you're not you're not you're not having to overcompensate that neutral trim position or even an app trim position because you got it nice and slow and wallowing and like a Gary landing. You know what I mean? Uh, you're right. And if you have your full up trim and you're just hanging on the prop coming in and then you immediately power up, uh, you're going to have to push forward on the stick, you know, significantly, you know, significant in terms of sonics. Well, pressures. It, We're it's, not talking, it is one you know, extra Cessna issue pressure. of you having to. To yeah. think about, you know, as you're going around and on top of what what you're trying right. to miss or not hit. <laughs> so yeah. And that just kind of reduces right. that. A little. Well, I, I, I think about. the, the um, point we're trying to say is, as you're coming in on the pattern, keep, give yourself a little forward trim so that you're having to pull back on the on it. You know, 
an instructor might say, well, just trim it neutral so that you're, you're trimming for speed, but a little bit forward and you're pulling back for speed is not bad because it allows you to uh, get a feel for the, the whole approach and the landing. I think so. I agree. Yeah, there, there's there's one other thing, and that is, um, you know, your flaps. How, how do you consider your flaps when you're going to make a touch and go? There's two things. One, a Sonics, even with an Aero-V, will climb out if you have to do a go-around or a touch and go with full flaps. Um, it's not going to climb out great, obviously, but it will. It has enough power and performance that you will climb out with full flaps. But But you don't want to, obviously. And so if you know you're going to do a touch and go, maybe you're going to do a wheel landing or something like that, a lot of times I'll just choose, hey, I'm not going to go to full flaps because I'm just going to have to take my full flaps out anyway. I'll just leave it at one notch, and that way I'm already configured for my touch and go, and I don't have to worry about it. Well, the problem with that is you're not really doing a touch and go. You're you're doing a, you know, I'm playing, and I'm not going to really A fly and go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, With our, I know with Mike and my, system um if i come in on full flaps on the landing i have electric flaps i have the standard b model electric flaps so they're all the way down if i do a touch and go i kick the switch up and it will bring the flaps back up to neutral um within probably i don't know five ten seconds and then i just fly around with you guys with your uh your your levers that's pretty simple too just boom kick it full forward and go do your own go around mm-hmm. although i don't know yeah. if that's a good my, mine has does not have the up uh button like john has i it I, it triggers both it, it's spring-loaded both directions so oh, i have i actually I, actually I can, can kick mine and it will go all the way yeah. up without. Then, you know, there's some good and bad to that. I mean, because then you then you're considering your your performance. I mean, if you're a hot and high altitude kind of situation, you might not want to dump your flaps up right away. Let's go that way. I don't possibly. I mean, it, it it just. I mean, on a standard day, no no wind, no issues. It probably is not a problem. But I mean, you might want to like. One potato, two potato before you start, before you hit well, the flaps. Well, you know, this is in a 737, Mike. So I think... It, it, well, I'm talking about even Meyer. I'm talking about even with Meyer. I wouldn't really? necessarily dump the Well, flaps. you got those barn door flaps, though. So Yeah, see, it, and when you, it really is it's noticeable. Well, I dump that out into, like, they just, like, I just feel the sink right there. <laughs> the just, first time I you, flew your plane, Mike, I put in full flaps, and it's like, I'm falling out of the sky. Oh, Jesus Christ, help me out. <laughs> <laughs> you went to church. You went to church. Yeah, I got religion real quick. Going to full flaps on yours after you know flying. So when sport. you but when, but when but I I would be I'm real leery of dumping them. I'm glad I don't have that switch because it it really does make a difference when you when you when you uh, yeah. bring them up and you. When I say you dump them, them, I have a you know it's a uh, it's just basically an electric switch. So right. going down, I have to push the button down to add add more flaps. But if I flip it up, it will come all the way up. Right. Or I can stop yeah. it, but I can. It's mom, was momentary down, instant up. Lock, I don't know what they call that switch. Yeah. 
All right. Well, if we're talking about, you know, like short field landings, um, it's pretty simple in a Sonics. Uh, it's all about speed control. You know, that's not unique to a Sonics. That's over any airplane. But we already talked about this. If you dive at the threshold because, you know, you have to clear that tree. And this is I have this problem all the time at Roosterville coming over the trees. And then you want to, you know, you want to get down. So you put the nose down and dive in. Um, it doesn't work out. You just gain a bunch of speed and then you float halfway down your runway and you're like, that was a terrible oh, short field landing. It's all that's about what speed you control. were at Reclaw and at Oshkosh and we got video. That's how you got the Tigger. That's how you get the Tigger thing going. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I, I'm glad that I'm, you know, a good visual aid well, on what not to do. You know, that was, that was, uh, you were at a heavy landing. Basically, that's so. right. He was heavy and the, and the wind was not right. And, uh, well, no. The sun was, sun in, was in my eyes. Don't forget that one. The uh, month ending in Y. That's right. But if you think <laughs> about it, you were you were probably the worst case scenario. You and uh, you know, and you guys were coming in, and uh, because you're you're light on gas, kind of, and you're you got a lot of camping gear, so you're a little bit FCG. So that's actually the worst. Right. Yeah. That's the worst case scenario as far as oh, trying yeah. to maintain your your. Uh, your your energy management coming down across the end of the runway, and then, of course, then coming in there the first time was like right. It's like there's so much going on around you. You know, you, your peripheral vision just like it's like on overload. Well, and he's going to that wreck lot. He yeah. has a bunch of Sonic guys standing on the threshold. Yeah, we're all standing there filming it, right? <laughs> you know, John, it's like target fixation. You know, you're like, don't hit that thing, don't hit yeah. that thing, don't hit the thing, and you just steer yeah. right into it. And I'm over there looking at you guys going, don't screw up the landing, don't screw up the landing, don't screw up the landing. Yeah, I screw up the landing. (laughs) You know, bam. (laughs) I won't talk about Mike's landing at Reclaw the one time where you went down to the mogul field. Oh, geez. The first time I went way down in there. I was, that was, that was almost scary. I went past the second mogul. So probably if you're going to do some short field type of um, experience in a Sonics, uh, you just got to get comfortable with what does the airplane feel like when you are at 60 coming across the threshold. Slow it down to 55 coming across the threshold because it's real easy on a big runway to be at, you know, 70 coming across the threshold and just let it do its thing naturally. And, you know, you think, okay, it can't be that different. Well, the plane's going to feel quite a bit different. When you really slow it down, that's what you got to go out and get comfortable with. Then you can start doing. Yeah, it short short feels stuff. like it's going to fall out of the sky, but it, it is. Does. But you know, it and that's feels... why Gary. That's mm-hmm. that's why Gary's really pushed to go out there and do maneuvers and you know brush your skills up and go go up there and do some slow flying yeah. and see where it's going to stall and then you know that kind of make try to you know drive around. Gary was the king at flying that his aero v sonics as slow as he possibly could and you know he he could land that thing and i would think probably 300 (laughs) maybe 500 feet and he preaches uh, going out and just staying proficient and knowing how the airplane is going to feel you can't really just do it every time you come in for landing you need to go out there and uh go out to and practice a little bit yeah smart idea part part of your airman maintain your airmanship Okay, and we also talked about, you know, wheel landings and all that, and I think there's just a couple of, you know, little tips that will make that easier. Um, The first one, again, it's not Sonic specific, but you'll notice it in a Sonics. 
you can't force the nose down on a wheel landing. Even if it's just a little bit, if you force that nose down, you will smack those landing gear <laughs> and they will rebound you right back yep. into the air. Yep. Um, and yeah, there, there may or may not be some video evidence of this phenomenon. I think there. we can find some, Jeff. I bet we could. <laughs> you got to let it yeah, settle in. Um, so that's it. You know, don't, don't force the nose down. And then, uh, sometimes I have found that, um, a, a touch of power right when you get ready to touch down, uh, will help kind of smooth things back out. Especially if you know you're a little fast and you're holding it and holding it, you're trying to slow down and you inadvertently start raising the nose higher and higher and higher. And now you're like, oh man, I'm going to totally lose my wheel landing because I'm basically in a three point. I'm getting ready to touch. A touch of power will help get the tail back up and you'll settle right back on the mains and you'll pull off a nice, you know, wheel landing. Without that power, you'll end up either pushing it down too, too soon or holding it Jeff, off. And that, it'll plop that is my so. technique. Uh, I'll bring it right down <laughs> to where I think the wheels are going to go. And then I give it a little goose. And I do that with the Pawnee also. Um, I love wheel landings. I love them in both the Pawnee and the Sonics because I think they're just cool. And it makes me look like a really big you know, airport stud when people are watching me. <laughs> uh, and I've actually been, th- they've commented me at the glider club to say, you're the only one that lands a Pawnee on wheel landings. And I said, yeah, cause I'm cool. So <laughs> yeah, I do that same <laughs> technique in either airplane. I, right before I touch, I give it a little goose and just arrest that little last bit of descent. Yep. And boom, I, I've sense. nailed it. Yeah, because if you think about it, if you are slowing down, you're losing energy. It's being scrubbed off in the in the roundout. Um, you got to hit it just right to to get it on the wheels, and you kind of end up plopping it. Um, but if you give it a little bit of power, you start flying again, and you can sort of fly it onto the wheels, which is what you're you want to do. You're just relieving that place. last bit of so vertical sense. energy is what you're doing. You're not gaining any extra speed. Mm. You're just reducing vertical energy, and it just settles down so nicely. And then you just keep flying that yep. tail. And right. You feel so cool, you know, as you <laughs> drop that tail down, look at everybody and go, yeah, I nailed this. Thank you. So what percentage of the time do you guys do wheel landings versus three-pointers? If um, if we have a really strong crosswind, I will try to do probably a plop three-pointer in the Sonics, uh, which means that I'm coming in, I'll drop down, the the windward main and then the the tailwheel about the same time and then plop it and that's with a, a strong crosswind other than that i think i'm 90 percent wheel landing just because it's cool mm-hmm. and i want to be cool <laughs> uh, you know i'm probably more like 50 50 i mean I, I guess i'd shoot for the three point and then if it sometimes i'll find myself where it's you know, you're right there where it's settling in, you know, and all at once you just feel the mains and you just, you just, you just bring a little forward pressure and uh, just keep the tail off. I mean, it's kind of, it's nothing I really aim for. You do see better down the runway, of course. And, and uh, but I, I'm probably more like a 50, maybe not even 50, 50. I'm probably more. Uh, come on. It, it, we're tailwheel guys. You've got to do wheel landings the majority of the time. <laughs> Well, we're tailwheel guys. We land on the tailwheel. And we haven't even talked about the <laughs> No, you don't land on the tailwheel. <laughs> tailwheel is just somebody, for, it's just to hold the tail have, up when you, uh, well, when you can't we fly have somebody. On, we should have had somebody on here with a uh, a tricycle to give their point of view. Maybe. 
you know, just be. Yeah, you know, I think we could sum that up where, you know, it, it's so simple okay, on a tricycle well, I, I didn't that, you know, I, you I, could I just fall it, asleep and drive to the hangar. I don't want to be on record saying that. No, I, you know, my, my <laughs> Sonics was a, a nose dragger yeah, you, that's uh, right, initially. That's right. And it was extremely tame. It was almost stupidly tame. And so it's, it's a fine aircraft. It just uh, wasn't as cool. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we have one Sonics here in Kansas City that is a tri-gear. And, um, he, I mean, he flies it in times where it's like, man, that crosswind, uh, I don't know that I want to go out because what if it gets a little stronger when we come back? And he's that like, yeah, I don't care, I'm going to no, fly. It's, and, yep, it, he, it's it, a big, I mean, it's a big it, difference. it works. It it's just a, works. It's no, it, it's a very, very well-behaved airplane. No, no question about that. Yeah. All right. Well, what did we miss um, in this whole pattern precision discussion, oh, Mike? Uh, what, what comes to mind? What What do we need to touch back up, or are we? Are I, we, do we check all the boxes. You know, I think we well, we started from taxi to the end of the runway, the taxi radius. I mean, we pretty much, you know, the what the sight picture is going to look like. I mean, I can't I, off the top of my head. I can't because John's going to come up with something. I'm sure I got something. I think the the, the important thing is, and I I fly, I'm flying 15, 20 times a weekend, either with my glider or with the tow plane in my air park and consistency. So if you consistently enter the pattern at the same altitude, at the same speed and do the same thing, you will have the same results every time you land. And if those results are not what you are wanting, then change your pattern. Um, and that that's kind of what the FAA is talking about is consistency with uh, the that whole chatter with the uh, the precision or the precision pattern is do it the same way every time and you will become very consistent in the way you do right. things. Yeah, that's a great sort of like summary thought to this whole discussion. The Sonics is so sporty and responsive. We can we can make it do what we want it to. But sometimes that works against us, you know, just like diving over the trees at the threshold uh, and building up that extra speed. Sometimes that ability to, you know, to to turn on a dime and do all that is not really leading us to a really nice. You ain't going to get a consistent landing if you're doing that. But, no. and, and I think the whole discussion here was the FAA said, do precision approaches, do, do precision landing or precision pattern work. And it's all about do it the same way every time. Not the same way as that RV that just landed in front of you, but the same way that you have done it over and over and over again. Correct. I agree. That's good. You're right. That's what it all comes down to. And go out and practice um, your technique so that you get comfortable and then you create that standard that you're going to follow. And then you're going to hold yourself accountable to it, you know, when you go. Well, that's kind of like and how they train us in the big, in big planes about how you're, you're constantly reassessing your, your whole situation all the way down. You're just, you, you have to constantly reassess. And so if you start the same, like John was saying, if you start the same place, you pretty much know what you're going to, what you're looking for all the way around. Um, you know, on a, a typical summer day, I might have uh, 16 glider launches in the Pawnee. And if I don't, you know, it, you get late in the day and you're getting tired. 
but I'm doing the same approach in the same airplane, the same weather conditions. And it almost becomes automatic because I know that I'm going to hit this point in the pattern at this speed, at this altitude, at this power setting. I put in my flaps at this point and it's almost automatic. And I almost touched down. I I bet I I touched down within five feet of every time. And turn around, grab the next glider, and take off. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding. That's for sure. All right, guys. Well, good job. Good job running through this. And hopefully this will be helpful to people who especially are getting ready to go fly their Sonics. This will give you something to kind of build a mental framework around. Take this, listen to it before you go fly your transition training syllabus with your instructor, and uh, you're good to go. All right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a, maybe a quick shout out as we wrap it up. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned going to Reclaw. Well, Reclaw is back on again this year, at least for now it is. The dates are October 23rd through the 25th. That's a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. Um it is, uh, it's a unique experience. So, you know, these are challenging times with COVID and all that. So you'll have to make your own decision on whether you think you want to go. However, when the time is right, um, this is a, a wonderful fly-in that's a ton of fun. And, um, you know, you really kind of either have to have been there before to really get the attraction of it. And maybe, you know, you can get on YouTube and look at some of the Reclaw videos to see just how much fun this real low-key sort of hillbilly fly-in can be. It is a hoot. I agree. I'll tell you that. It's like gosh, gosh, with no rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the only place, Mike, where you can be on approach to make a landing and you're like, man, I hope this guy takes off and gets out of my way because I'm coming in behind him. And you look out to your right and there's a Mustang doing a f- high-speed flyby, you and know, past and, both of you guys. And you're like, man, all this on one one right. six running across the runway running with across. a kid in tow. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things going on there. Yeah, it's uh, the Wild West. On there, that's for sure. But that's why <laughs> we love it. All right, guys. Good job once again. Um for everybody listening to this, uh, you can find this episode and the show notes that go with it at sonicsflight.com. Go to sonicsflight.com slash 75 for those show notes. You can find us on all your podcast apps and you know catch us on the, on the web. We have our email address. If something's on your mind and you want to have a, uh, a suggestion for a future topic, send us a note and we'll try to get that in. And I think looking at the list, our list is getting pretty thin right now. We still need to probably come back and do our, our weight and balance, uh, specifically for Asonics. Uh, I know there are some, some pretty good references, but hey, uh, Isaac's going to be doing his weight and balance soon, and he needs oh, something to listen That's to, good. so we'll have to do that. Still living with you. <laughs> and then I'm thinking maybe, yep, he is. He's getting close, um, you know, weeks or months, and um, it'll be ready to go to the All airport. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, one thing I would like to do is I would like to come back and do another aero injector. And uh, I'm thinking maybe like an advanced aero injector topic where we talk about tuning tips. It's not specifically tuning. It's installation. It's preventing surging and burps. It's, you know, operation. It's just, you know, it's all these advanced, you know, things that we, we know from years of flying aero injectors. So maybe we'll put that in the rotation too. So, anyway, I think that'll be fun. Looking forward to those. All right. With that, John, uh, get out there and, um, you know, 
tow those gliders with precision because they're counting I do. on you. I actually uh, pride myself on maintaining a constant speed during tow. Um, and you must uh, be like me when you're when you're chasing me to Oshkosh and, and you rave about how straight level I fly. Yes, I, I actually have to really pay attention to it. So now you're, then, you're, uh, you've, you've come full circle now. See. I've come full circle. I'm a precision precision flyer. There you go. Good. Whereas not the uh, <laughs> the rogue I used to be. Glad to hear. And uh, and Mike, I want to hear about your wheel landing touch and go okay. in a seven three well, sometime. My last flight of my career. <laughs> <laughs> Just put the right gear down. That'll really freak oh, everybody only, out. Only in this, I'll do a Bob Hoover. You know, right gear, left gear. You know. There you go. yeah we'll do that all right guys hey uh have a good weekend we'll we'll talk to you again soon all right thanks a lot hey man the views and opinions expressed on the sonic slack podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual company or organization mentioned on this program nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with sonics flight anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented remember you are the pilot in command The great and wonderful Landout Calrissian is online. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I feel a Here story coming on. You know, he's got several stories, I think. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I've got a reputation. I'm now the leading contender of the Flying Pig Award. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. John, I'm, I'm having like a mental image of the kid standing at the at the, the horse corral. And he's like, I'm going to ride that horse. And he points at like the big mean horse. And everybody's like, oh, it's not going to end well. And sure enough, it didn't end well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds like fun. So, okay. So give us some details here. We need these details. <laughs> all right. So last weekend was an awesome soaring weekend, all three days. So I flew all three days. On Friday, I actually got my... I had a uh, uh, an observer and I had a flight recorder, an IGC certified flight recorder on board, and I got my silver distance, silver altitude, and gold altitude oh. on that day. So those are uh, achievements through the uh, Soaring Society of America, and they're international uh, badges. So I got That's all that. Cool. And then Saturday was pretty good. Except uh, at the end of my flight, I was trying to do a 300K. We didn't get it because the weather was not cooperative. But I got into a 25-knot downwind uh, draft with another guy uh, coming back into the airport. He was a 1,000 feet below me. He almost got pushed into the dirt and almost landed out. But he was able to save it at the end. I was two thousand feet above him, going shit. That was nasty. Wow. <laughs> and got back in. So the next day, yeah. Sunday we uh, put a task in. We were going to try to do our four hundred kilometer task out way over uh, into the Rampart Range, down on the other side of Pikes Peak, and then out to Lyman and back. And 
everything was going great. We were up at 18,000 feet. We were just cruising fast. Fine. And it was a boomer day. And we got out to Lyman, turned around, and there was a wall of Virga between us. And, and because of my problem with the Virga the day before, I was nervous to get up near it because of the 25 knot downwind. And it's like, you can put me right in the dirt right here. So I tried to go around it. And I'm up <clears throat> way up north over the Bravo airspace of DIA at 14,000 feet. Soaring around going, I cannot get around this. And then suddenly got into that 25 knot downwind again. And so I rushed to get out of un underneath it. And then pretty soon I was like, I'm going into the ground. And I ended up landing at Chaparral Airport, which is a little dirt, dirt strip. Very nice. Under the Bravo uh, outside of DIA. Now, did you have to talk to controllers or were you uh, exempt? Or No, I, I okay. was clear of the Bravo because I was above it. Then I, I escaped outside of it, kept getting pushed down, and then came underneath it. So I was clear. Mm. I, I, although I did, I did fill out an ASRS report in case yeah. they don't think I did that. Probably a good idea. Well, I've, I've done two of them <laughs> in the last two weeks. So I think I'm going to do them almost every flight. You know, I turned downwind up there by 13. So I'm just, you know, just saying, just FYI. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm no, up there with you Mike's guys. like, what was that? Did you see that? Well, nah, it was just, uh, you know, somebody in their glider. Yeah. Well, you know. The, I, I got ADSB, man. You got, if you can't see me, you're not looking. Well, at least you got your transponder. And, uh, you know, you, you'll show up somehow. But, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, well, if they see you, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll keep you away. Yeah. Or keep, keep me away because you can't do anything. So I. Yeah, I'm pretty much like at the, <laughs> the whims of the wind. <clears throat> you're the air balloon. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, Mike, your passengers like those yeah. announcements. You know, if you look out the right side, you'll see a beautiful sight. If you look out the left side, you'll see John going down in a hail of fire. That's right. Yeah. If you can keep your head up off this, the floor after my 4G <laughs> pull-up. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma just snapped her neck. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, that's good. That sounds like you live and learn, man. It sounds like it's been a pretty crazy. No, you know, it's 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 part of the game. And what I've learned is you got to get your you have to have your trailer hooked up. You have to have it ready, and you have to have a retrieve crew ready. And my wife was ready, so I punched the help button on my spot. She got coordinates, punched it into Google Maps, and came and got me an hour later. And came, came right to you, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> well, that looked like a nice. Is that a nice strip up there? It's wonderful. It's really nice. I mean, I looked, I looked up there, and you, you told me where you landed at, and I so I got on the flight aware. I'm like, I'm like, I see you doing your, your, you know, you're you're circling around, and you've lined right up. And I said, well, there's a freaking runway there. What the hell? It's like a two, isn't it a cross runway kind of thing? I didn't, I didn't even see it until I was about 600 feet above it. <clears throat> Although it was oh, on you, my, my GPS, it, yeah. it said it would. You're, you're right there. It's right here. And then I look down and go, oh shit, it's right there. You couldn't see it, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's it's blend, it just blended in. Yeah, well, it, well, it's not well used. So, was the guy is, is somebody there have an airplane? I think it or no. Or well, <clears throat> it's a six-member association that all the the lots around it have access to it, but none of them are right. pilots. That's funny. It's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> So he landed and just kind of hung out. 
Did they, they well, I made a, I was able to get a phone call out, but there was no uh, 3G, so I couldn't text. I couldn't do anything. I had to right. use my spot to to send right. messages to people. And then I walked up to uh, one of the neighbors, and they had just moved in and said, can I get on your Wi-Fi? And they <laughs> said, yeah, no problem. Once I got on the Wi-Fi, I was able to, to do everything. Interesting. And, well, that sounds pretty successful, other than you know maybe just not completing your flight, but your glider club seriously is going to rib you over over that. I think you need to do a little oh, yeah. sabotage. No, no, I'm the I'm the king. I am the king of land. I'm land out Calrissian. Uh, well, you, what, had, you did the other you did the other one just a few weeks ago, didn't you? The other one. The, uh, it was earlier this season. Yeah, about yeah, three months ago. Month or so ago. You know, is that my long ago? Okay, I was thinking it was just yeah. a month right, or so ago. John, I'm thinking of like a little uh, remote controlled little drogue shoot that you can surreptitiously attach to the back of your buddy's glider. And then you hit the button, and it pops it out, and suddenly he's coming down. No, no, no. no. The, 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 the big solution here is I have the I have a deposit in on the Cybertruck. It's going to be hooked ah. up to the trailer. And when I land, I will just push, come get me. And I don't yeah. need crew. It's just going to wake <laughs> up. It's going to come drive the trailer to me. <laughs> and that's that's probably not going to work so well when there's no road to follow. Well, it'll figure out the road. I mean, it's going to know my GPS, and it's like you know, hey, yeah, it's going to be like, okay, now go that way, cross country for 14 miles. See you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, guys, hold on for just one second. Um, we'll be right back. Sorry about that. Jeanette came in for something. Anyway, we're good. What you want? So, John, I... Th- I th- what you want? Ju- she wanted to know about aviation life insurance. Like, does, You don't get it. Um, you don't get it because you're... you're yeah, you like well, yeah, but like I have it through USAA, and USAA allows aviation activities, including experimental airplanes. So I'm good. I can uh, I can kill myself, and I can still get paid. Or I, I, can, I do. So... I do, I do, and I have USAA. I do the same thing. I don't have life insurance. I live on the edge. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is probably a good time to tell you that we we took a policy out on you and we're your beneficiary. So, um. (laughs) okay. (laughs) Okay, where were we? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Tailwheels. Let's go. Yeah.